Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge in our Charleston Classic Preview Show. We'll start by recapping last Friday's big win over Providence in the Veterans Classic. Then we'll get you ready for Thursday's matchup with the Davidson Wildcats. We'll also preview the other potential six opponents in Charleston as the Shockers will play three games in four days. Great show coming up for you right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We saw the highest of highs and lowest of lows here in this first week of Shocker basketball. And Taylor, I, I want to reference something, one of your stories before the season started. You said, you know, they're, they're going to look really good sometimes, not so good other times, but try not to get too high on the highs or too low on the lows. We certainly saw a, a great game last Friday against Providence, 83-80, the final score against what we talked about on last week's show is, you know, thought of as a, a top 50 program, uh, at least here, top three in the Big East picked uh, here early in the season. So what what did you think about this game, and is it hard to watch how well this game went and not get excited not only about this year but the next couple of years here of Shocker Hoops? Oh, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of very promising performances for the Shockers. You know, a lot of, you know, Marcus uh, steals the headlines with 32 points. Samajay, very, very good as well. Career-high eight assists for him. But, you know, a lot of freshmen stepped up and made big plays. You know, Moby Beze. Eric Stevenson, Jamarius Burton. I mean, all of those guys were out there in crunch time making big plays to help Wichita State win that game. So that was very exciting to see if you're a Wichita State fan to think that you have them for the next four years. Uh, future very bright. Uh, but like Greg Marshall said on Monday, you basically saw what this team, uh, the roller coaster, you saw the low on Tuesday, the season opener against Louisiana Tech, and then you saw the high against Providence and Annapolis. So, I mean, they gave you a taste of, you know, what they can uh, bring this season, and it's going to be an up-and-down year, um, hopefully more ups than, than lows for, for Greg Marshall, but um, definitely encouraging that they put it together that early in the season, especially even coming off a low like that against Louisiana Tech. And this Providence team, this is a team with some NBA guys. We saw Alpha Diallo, he had a double-double again. He goes for 27 and 10. Uh, A.J. Reeves had another good game for the Friars. So what specifically did you think the Shockers were able to do correcting some things from last Tuesday's game on the game on Friday that led to them being victorious? The biggest thing was they they, stopped, they, they limited Providence in transition. Do you remember when they got down? Then early in that game before Samaje kind of rescued them with the threes. They were giving up a ton of transition baskets. You know, they're just not very good in, in, on the, the defense. I mean, it's tough to defend in general when you're backpedaling and trying to guard them in transition. But, you know, you throw in this many newcomers and, you know, Wichita State's even worse at that. So the, the more they can limit those possessions where they, they get, they allow Providence to out and, and run, the better. 
And, you know, that's where Providence really hurt them early in that first half. And after that, which I'll say did a much better job communicating in transition defense and, and not allowing them to run as much. And, of course, if you're making baskets, you know, not as many rebounds, not as many, uh, you know, live ball um, chances to run. So that also helped as well. And, you know, Wichita State's offense, they just finally hit shots. You know, uh, we talked last uh, last episode about Marcus and Samaje. They are both taking good shots. They just weren't falling. Uh, they, they kept taking good shots. And you know, what happens this game? They start falling. And obviously Marcus went to a whole other level, and he was definitely feeling it that night. So um, that, that helped a ton with, I mean, it's amazing how much the better the offense looks when the shots are going in. So uh, the Shockers were finally able to, to, you know, connect on some of those shots. And then the freshmen stepped up uh, late and delivered some of the key, key plays. Loved uh, some of the plays that Demarius Burton and Eric Stevenson made down the stretch. I want to go back to McDuffie. He scores 32, 6 of 9 shooting from 3. We saw a flash of this last year in the game at SMU down in Dallas, but really hadn't been scoring the basketball consistently until this game here against Providence. So do you think this is something more to come from McDuffie and he might be, a let's say, a 20-point-per-game type scorer for the Shockers? You know, this is the, the McDuffie that the coaches and his teammates have been raving about. This is the, the player that they've seen all summer. You know, against Oklahoma State in that, that close scrimmage. I mean, this is the guy that he looked like. I mean, all summer, you know, it just didn't translate to those first two games, the exhibition and the season opener. And uh, this game, it finally, uh, it finally clicked for him. And he was uh, shooting so confidently, and his stroke looked so good. I mean, he's getting great elevation. The ball was just coming off of his hand so pure. And, uh, you know, it was really good to see him shooting that confidently and, and seeing so much, so much success for a player who took, you know, probably more than his fair share of criticism leading up to that game among the Wichita State fan base. A lot of people were, you know, kind of disgruntled about the way he was playing. And, you know, he, he definitely heard that. He felt the, felt the people growing uh, kind of concerned about this team. And uh, that was kind of his response. And, you know, he, he didn't put his uh, head down. Uh, he didn't worry about that stuff. He went out there and did what a senior should do. And he delivered a, a great, a great performance. Outside of the two seniors, the only other shocker in double-digit scoring was Morris Udeze. What'd you like about his game? Scores ten points in only twenty minutes. Yeah, he's been a plus-minus monster on the season for Wichita State. Whenever he is out there, Wichita State is just shredding opponents. I mean, it happened to Louisiana Tech, and it happened even more against Providence. And it just seems like good things are happening right now for the Shockers when he's out there. Um, love. Uh, I, I was really kind of taken aback by just how explosive he was on a couple of those dunks. I didn't know he had that in him when uh, Samaje would drive and draw his defender and kick it to him. He would take that drop step and just rise up and really throw it down. And uh, he, he showed a lot of promise there. Just, I mean, patrolling that baseline, uh, using that big frame to kind of body his way into into the paint and finish around the rim. And he was really good that game, not just on offense, but also on defense in the middle of that zone when Wichita State pushed to that. So uh, very encouraging. In the first game, it was Jaime Uchinike. This game was Morris Udeze. I think uh, another thing that's kind of low-key under the radar was that Wichita State, Greg Marshall kind of uh, shortened his rotation down to eight players after playing 12 against Louisiana Tech. And in some ways, that definitely helped because, you know, Uchinike and Udeze, arguably the two best posts, they took pretty much all the minutes at center, and that, that gave Wichita State, you know, its best possible lineup out there. And uh, I think the Shockers really found success, you know, playing that, that eight-man rotation. And 
it'll be interesting to see this week in Charleston, you know, playing three games in four days. If Marshall kind of, you know, you know, bumps that back up to 10, 11, 12, or if he keeps it tight in a pretty big game, this, this first game against Davidson. Here's a good stat from you from Brian Holmgren in the athletic department. Wichita State and Coach Marshall have used 44 different lineup combinations so far from two, these two games, and they've had one freshman on the floor for every single minute that's been played in the games against Louisiana Tech and Providence. Uh, I want to talk about rebounding. The Shockers were plus six in points in the paint. They out-rebounded Providence by four. In your film analysis, did you see anything different that they did from the first game against Louisiana Tech into the second game against Providence that led to that success? Yeah, I mean, it's just real basic stuff, you know, fundamentals that that they kind of lacked in that first game. And a lot of it, you know, when you have freshmen out there at the five, I mean, you're going to have mistakes like that. And it was just simple things like they were, they weren't staying connected on, on their box outs or checkouts is what they, is what Marshall calls them. And, uh, you know, they, just, they had to, you know, put a body on them and keep a body on them and, and, you know, move backwards. Just real basic stuff like that. And, you know, they weren't doing that against Louisiana Tech. And that was allowing Louisiana Tech to pretty much, you know, jump freely and just swap the ball back and get that, you know, those offensive rebounds that way. And, you know, against Providence, they, they put a body on them and they, they kept the body on them. And then on the offensive end, they did a much better job going and getting the ball, uh, just being ball getters. And uh, they did much better on the offensive end, too. So, um, yeah, very encouraging for, for a Greg Marshall team. You know, those teams always rebound the ball well. And it was a little concerning after that first game. I didn't know if this was going to be a great rebounding team, but it definitely took a you know a significant stride against Providence, and that's something to watch this week in Charleston and see if they can keep that up. And you know they they have the size, they have that the athleticism, and you know a lot of it. If you're going to be a good or great rebounding team, a lot of it just comes down to that one, two, that grit. And of course, I'll say if those young players can show that, then this team's going to be another great season for rebounding. If we do have to pick on one thing, it would still be the free throw shooting. The Shockers went 11 of 19 against Providence for 57.9%. They're one of only 15 Division I teams that miss more than half of its free throws in Week 1, shooting 49% from the charity stripe so far this year. So when you come out with the Taylor Eldridge instructional video, what's it going to say? How do they get back on these, uh, getting the basketball going in the hoop from the charity stripe? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, Coach Marshall does a great job with them, so I'm sure it's, uh, you know, two-game sample size, still very, very small, so you have to think that that's going to average out over the course of the season. Um, you know, some of these guys, a lot of them are freshmen that are up there and missing free throws, and I think once the season goes along and, you know, they, they get some comfort out there, I think those numbers are going to go up. You know, Jamarius Burton and Dexter Dennis have kind of struggled, and I think those numbers even out over the course of the season, so too early to, to call that a concerning mark but definitely not the way you want to start the season out you know shooting under 50 percent from the free throw line in two games so that's uh, I'm sure that's uh, been a big emphasis in practices and um, you know those guys are putting in the work so I think this is a case where it's just going to even out over the course of the season and hopefully that's just a blip and and uh, you know a 30 32 game se- season you got to hear all the interviews after the game and talk to some of the players. Did it seem like a little more confidence uh, in the locker room after the big win? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Marcus and uh, Samaje were at the stand, and uh, I, I sensed uh, some relief. I mean, they they spent all summer wanting to be the leaders on this team, and they have pressed so hard, uh, especially at Louisiana Tech game. And, you know, they took that loss really, really tough, and then, you know, they had to hear all that noise on social media 
a lot of people who are wondering, you know, what's going on with them? Why are they not playing very well? And, you know, no one wants to play better than, than Marcus and Samaje and no one's harder on themselves or harder on them than themselves. So, you know, they really took that to heart and they, you know, they kind of showed some character, just the way they were able to come out and respond to, to adversity like that. And, you know, deliver. I thought that was Samaje's best overall game. He's played as a Wichita State shocker. Then obviously Marcus, that's his best game as well. So for those two to respond the way they did really shows a lot about, you know, the leadership and uh, the character of these two seniors. And um, I think they were just relieved to, to finally show everyone else, like, hey, this is what we can be. This is what we can do. You know, they've done this all summer. You know, the coaches, when I've talked to them, they've just raved about these guys. And they said, you know, these are two all-conference kind of players. And, um, you know, it didn't really just show that first game, but you know, this is closer to the, the Marcus and Samaje that they've been seeing all summer and all, all preseason. So I think fans can kind of expect, you know, closer to this than, than closer to the first game going forward. It was a great game and a great experience for this young team to be out in Washington, D.C. and to play at the U.S. Naval Academy and see the different, have the different experiences they have. Certainly will be something that they remember much past this season. Let's take a break. We'll come back and get you ready for this week's Charleston Classic. As we alluded to, the Shockers will have three games in four days. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge in our Charleston Classic preview show. When you look at this bracket, five out of the eight teams made the 2018 NCAA tournament. So while it maybe doesn't have the name recognition of a Maui or a a Battle for Atlantis or something like that, I actually think it's going to be a really great tournament here. The Shockers will start their first game on Thursday. They'll play at 6 p.m. Central Time against the Davidson Wildcats, who come in at 2-0 on the season. The game, unfortunately, will not be on TV, but will be broadcast on ESPN3. You can find that online and uh, through your different smartphone apps. They're led by head coach Bob McKillop. He's in his 29th season as the head coach of the Davidson Wildcats. They were picked to finish third in the A-10 preseason poll, and they're currently number 85 in Kinpom. Taylor, when you take a look at this game on Thursday, what do you see from this well-coached Davidson team? Yeah, you mentioned it right there. I mean, Bob McKillop is very well respected in the, the Division One college coaching uh, circles, and, you know, his team's always you know, their offense is so hard to defend. You know, obviously Steph Curry gets a lot of the attention with guys who have come out of Davidson, but, you know, he's got the job done without Steph Curry, and uh, he's got another really, really good uh, shooter this year in Kellen Grady. That's a name to remember for Wichita State fans. Uh, 6'5 sophomore, really, really good shooter, and, I mean, he's already drawing comparisons to, to Steph Curry. That's how good of a shooter he is. So, uh, you know, Davidson, their offense, is always is going to be very uh, difficult to guard. They shoot a lot of threes. Uh, haven't been shooting it very well this year, and they actually uh, almost lost to Dartmouth uh, coming in. So they're kind of coming in on a uh, kind of a surprising game where they didn't play very well. They had a rally at the end of the last. I think they they were down like uh, six in the final two minutes, and they came back and won that game. So um, they, that was kind of a concerning performance going into Charleston. But you know they're still a very very talented team. They have a couple of really good players, Kellen Grady, I mentioned, and John Axel Gummis, and uh, another 6'4 junior. So guard play very strong for Davidson. It's going to be uh, interesting to see who takes on those defensive. You know, you have to imagine Jamarius Burton is probably going to get one of them, and then uh, maybe Dexter Dennis, uh, the other. So it'll be interesting to see how Wichita State comes out in defense. 
But maybe Greg Marshall goes back to that 2-3 zone. They had a lot of success. Uh, he very rarely ever plays zone in the past, but the zone is actually very, very effective against Providence. So we'll see if he goes back to that. Um, but, you know, against shooters like Davidson, that's kind of risky. So I'm curious to see what kind of defense the Shockers will come out on. And those two are the, the two to watch on, on Davidson. You talk about Grady, he's averaging 23.5 points per game, and Gudmundson is averaging 20 points per game. So a lot of their scoring comes from those two individuals as they're averaging 81 points per game, so over 50% of their points coming from those two individuals. You mentioned they barely beat Dartmouth. The score on that was 79-76. They also beat Cleveland State earlier in the season, 83-63. to uh, But uh, I guess when you look at this matchup overall, is, is this something you think the Shockers should come out on top? or it'll just be what which team we end up getting with the flip of the coin here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so hard to say. I mean, it just depends on what Wichita State team comes to play. But, you know, Davidson's a very trendy pick uh, by a lot of people. You know, it's kind of a mid-major that can make some noise in March and, you know, maybe get in that large bid and, and NCAA tournament. They're that good. And, uh, you know, looking at some of those 1 through 365 rankings that came out in the fall, a lot of people had Davidson rated ahead of Wichita State, so you have to think that, you know, on a neutral court, you know, a lot of people would be picking Davidson, and I haven't seen any early lines in Vegas on this game, but um, I, I would assume that Wichita State might, would be favored just because of the, the name brand, but I think it's going to be very, very close. And, you know, if Wichita State plays the way on, uh, they did on offense against Providence, you know, I don't think they have a problem uh, coming away with the win here. But, you know, if they play, you know, they get back to those those tendencies and the shots aren't falling and, you know, maybe they have some lapses on defense again. You know, they, they allow Davidson to get out and, and run in transition. I mean, this is going to be a very, very difficult opponent. You know, the third straight, you know, top 100, 125 opponent for Wichita State. So it's a very good, uh, you know, kind of barometer for the Shockers. And this is a huge game because if they lose, uh, they get sent to the loser's bracket and play, you know, like a 300-rated team. But if they win, they get a, a tier one probably opponent in Purdue and win or lose. That's huge. Uh, just uh, the confidence they can gain from that game. And uh, maybe down the road, I mean, if the things work out, maybe adding to the NCAA you know, resume uh, against another, another top team. And that would guarantee them another good game in the Constellation or the championship on Sunday. So a uh, big, big first game for Wichita State. It could have, you know, pretty big. Uh, implications down the road. So, I mean, a win against Davidson not only gets you a very, very nice win, but also gets you two more very competitive games the next two days. Wichita State leads the all-time series 2-0. They played just a few years back in the ESPN Bracket Buster series. If the Shockers win, they'll play at 5.30 p.m. Central Time on Friday. If they lose, they'll play at 3.30 p.m. Central Time on Friday. Either way, that game will be broadcast on ESPNU. If we want to look ahead to potential uh, Friday opponents, you already mentioned the Purdue Boilermakers, currently number 23 in the AP poll, and the Appalachian State Mountaineers, who are 1-1 one one on the season. Let's mainly focus on Purdue here. They're led by head coach Matt Painter in his 15th season, and they were picked to finish fifth in the Big Ten preseason poll this year. But everything for the Boilermakers goes through 6'1 junior guard Carson Edwards. He was a consistent consensus first-team AP All-American this year. So what what do you like about uh, Carson's game and, and specifically Purdue? Yeah, Purdue is, uh, you know, they lost a lot from last season, so they're not going to be the same. You know, even though they're ranked, 
a lot of people kind of feel like that's just kind of on the name value and kind of out of respect for, for Matt Painter and just the job that he's done. But, you know, not a lot back from last season. And, you know, like you said, I mean, this is a, it's a Carson Edwards team. I mean, much like Davidson is, is kind of ran through Kellen Grady. I mean, his team has ran through Carson Edwards. And, you know, he's just a, he's a playmaker. I mean, he's a guy that, that, you know, he can score at all levels. He's a good three-point shooter. He can pull up and hurt you from, you know, the free throw line and you can get to the rim and finish. And, and when you, you know, you devote the defensive resources to stop them and he can, he can dish it out too. He has a great assist rate. So, you know, he's just an NBA guy that's, that's going to be tough to, to guard. You know, I mean, the Shockers have seen plenty of those in the last year alone in the Americans. So uh, they know what this kind of looks like, at least Marcus and Samaja do. And, you know, it's going to be a big challenge for uh, if they do match up with Purdue to stop someone of that caliber. And, uh, you know, Purdue, I mean, always going to get after on defense and rebounding as well. So this is kind of, you know, a good matchup for Wichita State if they do, if they are able to, to match up with them in the semis. Here's a fun stat for you. Carson Edwards has taken a third of his team's shots through the first two games, so certainly a guy who isn't afraid to shoot the basketball. They beat Fairfield in their first game 90-57, to and then they beat Ball State 84-75. to An interesting thing about this tournament, you've actually had an opportunity, some of these schools, to play a fourth game. So we saw Ball State and Purdue matchup, Alabama and Appalachian State matched up, so Shockers didn't choose to do that, but uh, some of these teams are, are pairing up. Let's talk about the Mountaineers. The Shockers haven't had too much luck with teams from West Virginia here uh, recently, but just very quick on them. Uh, in the event they would play them, they're number 175 in Ken Palm. Uh, they beat a team called Mars Hill 125 to 62, but then they lost to Alabama 81 to 73. As far as their team's concerned, you, you just hope the Shockers don't end up playing them on Friday? Yeah, I mean, Appalachian State, that's, that's why it's this first game is so important for for Wichita State to to beat Davidson because you're you're more than likely going to see Purdue and then more than likely to see a you know a Virginia Tech or Alabama on the third day and uh you know if they lose and they play someone like like we mentioned Appalachian State not very you know highly rated you know they're pretty you know outside the the top 150 I mean it's not going to be a very you know a very good game I guess for the resume so that's that's one where this is why it's so important that Wichita State wins the first day to avoid playing you know, Appalachian State and they're they're a respectable program and uh, that's you know it's a game that Wichita State should win uh, but obviously you want to you you want to build that momentum that first day beat Davidson and get a big matchup uh, with Purdue on the second day. And then if we look ahead to Sunday, just, uh, you know, as you touched on, we can't really predict who the Shockers would play, but just a couple of fun facts here. Virginia Tech actually comes in as the highest rated team in the tournament. They're number 16 in this week's AP Top 25 poll, and they returned seven of eight top scorers from last season. So that's a team that might make some things happen in the ACC. Alabama picked to finish seventh in the SEC poll, currently number 56 in Ken Palm. And if Wichita State plays Alabama, it would be the sixth time in the last eight years. So as far as, let's just say, potential Sunday opponents, it, do, do you think the Shockers want to match up with a Vatek for a potential you know, NCAA seeding? Alabama just doesn't matter? Or what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think uh, my pick is Virginia Tech. Like you said, they have a ton coming back, and uh, they're very, very good this season. So I think Virginia Tech is probably making it to the championship game. And then, uh, like you said, I mean, Alabama is, is probably the safe pick for for the third place game. So either one of those two opponents would be great for Wichita State. 
you know, not only for the resume, but just to play a team that's, you know, in a major conference to kind of see where this team is early in the season. And um, it'll be, you know, interesting to see, I mean, how the Shockers kind of match up with different playing styles. And I forgot to mention in the Purdue, uh, the Purdue matchup that Purdue actually has a 7-3 guy. So that's a game where, you know, as where Meekard might uh, be a big, uh, big importance with his big body, seven foot frame. You could see him play a, an important role in the semis if they're to see Purdue. But, you know, different teams play different styles, you know, in different conferences. So um, it's always good for Wichita State to get out and play in these, you know, like you said, I mean, it's not a big time uh, uh, midseason tournament, but very, very good field this year. So I think if the Shockers win this first day, it's going to be a very good experience for them. I also have to give a shout out to my guys from Northeastern. They were picked to finish first in the Colonial, and they are number seventy nine in Kin Palm right now, and the Shockers are number seventy eight. So, talk about an even matchup right there. Yeah, they're a very good mid major. Another team that that could possibly get in at large berth, but you know, probably going to have to end up winning their conference tournament. But I've heard a lot of really, really good things about them, and that's a team that you know could pull a, a first round stunner on the other side of the bracket. The fifth place game is at 12:30 on Sunday on ESPNU. The third place game is at 5 p.m. on ESPNU, and the championship will be broadcast at 7:30 p.m. Central Time on ESPN Two. This is the first ever Charleston Classic appearance by WSU. And one more fun fact: an American team has made the championship of this tournament the last two years. Well, there you go. You're full of uh, fun facts this week. Someone was on GoShockers.com today. But, uh, okay. as, Shout out Brian Holgram. <laughs> as far as... Brian, Brian did homework. <laughs> what would success look like in this tournament to you? I know we don't necessarily have to have a record prediction, but what, what do you want to see as far as continued development from this young team over the next four days? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think uh, if they just play just the, the style and the play looks better, I think that's the most important thing. Obviously, you want to win at least once, I think. Um, you know, obviously, if you play well all three times and you come out with a loss, that can be demoralizing. So, you'd want to get at least one. And obviously, Davidson's probably the best opportunity. Maybe you win that one and then lose the next two. And, you know, maybe you have a side face coming away from that tournament, but you know, you played three really, you know, top 100 teams and you played well. So, I think that's the, the goal for this is to avoid another stinker like Louisiana Tech. Avoid, uh, you know, perform an offensive shooting performance like that, and uh, you know, play closer to what they did in Providence. There's still a lot to clean up on the defensive end, um, some things to clean up on rebounding. So uh, this is a team that can keep getting better. And you know, obviously, if the shots are going in, you know, this team's going to look a lot better. But there's also other ways that that this team can win, and uh, that'll be the the thing this week to see if they, you know, they're not going to shoot, you know, 60% from three every game. So. Uh, when they don't do that, it'll be interesting to see how this team can, can pull out wins. Let's take a break. We'll come back, wrap up the show with our final segment, and, of course, buy or sell. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Final segment of the show. If you can't tell, Taylor has been joining us from the road this week, currently in New York. Had a great story that was posted today on Kansas.com about Ron Baker. Had an opportunity to speak with Ron. Also saw the Knicks take on the Magic at Madison Square Garden. So before we uh, get into buy or sell, Taylor, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the experience at MSG and also your article on Ron. Yeah, you missed you missed the perfect uh, live from New York lead-in on that. 
but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun up here. Uh, you know, I, I uh, took a train after they got done playing in Annapolis uh, from Baltimore to New York and just been spending a, spending a couple of days in the city and thought I would uh, check out a Knicks game and get an update on fans for, uh, for Ron Baker. And, you know, obviously he hasn't, uh, the, the minutes haven't been there for him. He actually got to play five minutes uh, in the game that I went to. And, um, you know, he's trying to get back in the rotation. And uh, the thing I wanted to find out was, you know, what what kind of drives him still when, you know, the minutes aren't there, you know, he's obviously making money, but, you know, it just seems like he's still full of energy and he just, he's so committed. Uh, I wanted to find out what, what's kind of his motivation still. And, you know, I talked to his teammates and uh, they all rave about him as a teammate. They love playing with him. Uh, Trey Burke from Michigan, he's a five-year NBA veteran. He said, he's the best teammate you'll ever have. Courtney Lee, a 10-year NBA veteran, uh, spoke very highly of Ron as well about his work ethic and, you know, you know, a guy that's number 12, number 13 on the bench that works that hard and challenges people in practice and brings that effort. You know, there, there's some things that, that superstars, guys in the rotation can, can learn from him. And uh, I think that was the biggest takeaway. Is just, it was pretty cool to see, you know, Ron in that element and just how he's still making an impact on that team, even without playing on the, on the actual court. And obviously he hopes to, to get more playing time and, and show what he can do. And, um, it'll be interesting what happens after this season. You know, the, his two-year contract is up, and, uh, you know, Knicks fans love him. You know, they're chanting for him in the fourth quarter. They wanted to see Ron Baker, you know. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw on social media, I mean, kids in New York are, are dressing up as Ron Baker for Halloween. So, you know, the city has really embraced him, and they love him. And uh, Ron said he's really grown up the last uh, three years, you know, living on his own in the city. Uh, you know, after growing up in Scott City and, and then spending those four or four, four, five years in, in Wichita and uh, to move to New York City in kind of your formative years, I mean, he's really done a lot of growing on and off the court. So it was a pretty cool experience getting to talk to him and uh, getting to watch the game in Madison Square Garden. That is great. You know, we saw Ron play Fred over the weekend. The Raptors were able to get the win over the Knicks. One other shocker guard in the NBA right now. Do you think Landry Shamit's playing time will be affected at all with the Jimmy Butler trade to the Sixers? No, I mean, I think this actually, uh, you know, this doesn't really affect them. I think Jimmy Butler kind of takes the Robert Covington role. So, I mean, they kind of replace each other. And, you know, this is a team that's really relied on Landry a lot. Uh, early in the season, I thought he played 40-plus minutes uh, one game. And, uh, you know, he, he hasn't been shooting the ball to his capabilities, but he's still been able to be pretty solid. Um, so, I'll be, you know, I, I really love his game and how it will translate to the NBA. Once he starts hitting threes like he knows he can, I think, uh, I mean, Philly fans already love his potential as, you know, a guy that can come off the bench and provide some shooting and, you know, that's a team that all they need now is just you know spot up shooters in the corner with Ben Simmons and Embiid and, and a guy like Jimmy Butler. So uh, you know they don't need any playmakers uh, on that team. They need someone to stand in the corner and hit wide open threes, and that's certainly something that Landry can do at a very high level and you know get after it on the defensive end. So uh, it's gonna be fun for you know Shocker fans to see uh, two of their guys play on you know two of the best teams in the NBA now with Toronto and Philadelphia. So. Uh, you're going to be able to see those two guys in the playoffs, and it's going to be a lot of fun seeing them play, you know, meaningful minutes. You know, Fred obviously leads, the, leads that second unit on Toronto, and they've just been unreal so far this year. And, you know, I think Landry's going to see, you know, big-time minutes down the stretch for, for Philadelphia as well. 
Come for the Shocker Talk. Stay for the NBA analysis. We take care of everything here on Talk Angry. And now it's time for Buy or Sell. And I'll kick it off to Producer Brian. So I'm going to just segue directly off of our uh, our Ron Baker discussion. So buy or sell, does Ron Baker have another year in New York? Ooh, that is a, that is a tough one. I'm going to sell that um, reluctantly. I think uh, he really impressed Hornacek and Phil Jackson. Those were the guys that brought him in. I think Fizdale really loves them as well, but, you know, that's not Fizdale's guy. Um, maybe they, they bring him back on a restructured deal where he takes less money. Um, but I'm going to say no. I think he does play another year in the NBA, though, maybe just not in New York. Yeah, I'm going to sell it as well. Ron seems like a perfect fit for like the Indiana Pacers or the Denver Nuggets, maybe the San Antonio Spurs, other smaller markets, kind of kind of like Wichita that, you know, bring your lunch pail to work type deal and, and maybe appreciate what he does on the defensive end a little more. Also, the Knicks, you know, hopefully are heading in the right direction, but have just been a dumpster fire for so long. So as, as cool as New York might be, I think it would be good for him to get out uh, to an opportunity like we've seen with Fred or Landry where you have an opportunity to, to maybe win a little bit more. All right, so as discussed earlier, we saw a lot more zone against Providence. Uh, is that something this year? So buy or sell, do you see Wichita State, not 100% of the time, obviously. you gotta you got to switch things up. But do you see Wichita State going more heavily with the zone defense this season? I'm going to buy that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we both got so excited. We both wanted to buy it. I will defer to Mr. Eldridge. You go first. Okay, I will buy it first because I think, you know, anything more than 10%, I think that's kind of the mark that, that the cutoff rate of, you know, Greg Marshall team playing zone. So anything more than that is is truly remarkable. 10%? In the Greg Marshall era. Yeah, 10% <laughs> of the time pretty much. I mean, he, he's man-to-man yeah. pretty much all the time. And uh, so, I mean, to, for him to go to that zone, I don't think it's going to be as much as we saw in the Providence game, but I think it's certainly going to be more than 10%. And, um, you know, the, the, the length athleticism that the guys they can put around the per, the four guys they can put around perimeter, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, they can kind of use that. And you saw it uh, kind of come to fruit in the, the Providence game with Eric Stevenson. I mean, he had that crazy block late in the game. Uh, one of the game-saving plays that I put on my, my article on cans.com on and uh, showed his length and how valuable that can be when, you know, he's on that wing and he can – you know, he had two feet in the lane when the guy caught the ball, and he was able to get out to the, the three-point line and, and block that shot. So, you know, with length and athleticism like that, it, it makes sense to play more zone. Well, the suspense is gone, but I'm going to buy that as well for a lot of the same reasons about what Taylor talked about. But one other point I would make, we talked about with this young team maybe struggling with communication at times, particularly on the defensive end. And sometimes that's a struggle with the man-to-man offense, whereas with the zone, I think it's a little more bread and butter. You you move more as a cohesive unit there instead of five individual pieces. So I'll buy that as well. Okay, so against Providence, we saw Marcus McDuffie go absolutely bananas uh, from the three-point line and and scoring in in numerous ways, uh, putbacks, dump-offs in the lane, those sorts of things. For Wichita State to be successful this season, does Marcus McDuffie need to be a 20 points per game scorer? I know Marshall hasn't had that uh, thus far at Wichita State. But this season, does Marcus McDuffie need to be that for this team to be successful, buy or sell? I'll go first this time. I'm going to sell that uh, for a couple of different reasons. Just 
you know, I'd like to see it more than one game here, a little more consistency before we're able to say that he can go out and, and have that success on a regular basis. But also, I think every single game you're going to be able to point to one person or one or two people and say, boy, th- those guys really brought it today, and that's why the Shockers won. So it could be a, a Stevenson and a Udeze combo, or it could be a Ichinike and a Dexter Dennis combo, or different things like that. I think there's just going to be different people stepping up throughout the year in addition to these seniors. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to sell that as well. 20 is a few points too high. Uh, coming into the season, 18 was kind of the number on my in, in my head that I had for Marcus. Uh, everyone, like I said, raved about him and the way he played in the summer. And I think 18 points a game kind of sounds about right for, for someone who's going to take a lot of shots on this team. And, uh, you know, the efficiency is obviously not going to be what it was against Louisiana Tech or what it was against uh, Providence. So it's going to become somewhere in the middle. And, uh, I'm very encouraged by his, his three-point stroke, though. I mean, if that's something that he can add to his game, I mean, he, he never really shot that at a high percentage. So, I mean, if he's able to, you know, uh, get that above 35 and keep that keep it above 35 between that and 40, I mean, it's going to be a very good year for Marcus. And um, I think he doesn't have to, to average 20 for this team to, to win 20 games. Um, I think it can be around the 18 points per game mark and, and still be good. And I think Samaje is going to be right there too. So um, keep an eye on both of those guys to average, you know, 15 plus. All right. And finally, there was a lot of talk after the Louisiana Tech game, some criticisms. Uh, the players and coaches brought it up after the Providence win. Uh, just discussing some of the noise and, and around the team, uh, some of the social media backlash and those sorts of things. And even Ed Cooley himself said Wichita State fans are spoiled. So buy or sell, is the Wichita State fan base spoiled? Uh, I'm going to buy that. I mean, how can they not be? I mean, Wichita, or Greg Marshall has done you know, such a good job at Wichita State, and I think fans kind of lose sight on just how incredible this run really has been. You know, it's, it's insane to think that he has won 25 games the last uh, like eight or nine years I mean, that just doesn't happen i mean if you win 25 games uh, at most programs that's like you know one of the best part, one of the best seasons in program history so to be able to do that for so long i mean it's, it's hard you know for South state fans not to be you know spoiled a little bit just because you know they're, they're so used to winning they're so used to winning almost every game at home at, at coke arena and you know maybe not incredibly spoiled uh like what uh, Ed Cooley said, um, but you know, definitely a little. And you, you saw it after the Louisiana Tech game. I mean, a lot of people uh, on social media criticized the, the play. And, you know, I think uh, the, the, the boos at the end were a little misguided. I don't think that was for Wichita State. I think that was directed mostly towards Louisiana Tech player that dunked at the end. So I think that was – I think Marshall referenced that in the, in the postgame with Kennedy – um, but, you know, I think it's hard to say that this fan base isn't a little spoiled just because of all the winning that Marshall has led them to. And, you know, I think it's a fair ask to, to ask them for a little bit of patience this season as they, they figure this out. 
I agree with everything that Taylor just said. Uh, I, I would say a little spoiled, but also, you know, you have to p- pay some, you know, respect to the fan base in that, you know, during the 90s when this team wasn't very good at all, there were still some great crowds at what used to be Henry Levitt Arena and the Kansas Coliseum while it was going under renovations to become Coke Arena. So, you know, I, I, I think just with anything, you you have certain expectations and, and they're not used to seeing some, some of that, those early season struggles. But overall, I, I think uh, both the program and the fan base are, are a good match for each other. Before we close, I'm just going to go counterpoint on that because I don't necessarily think the fan base is spoiled. I think the expectations are high. Um, but when you have 10,000 fans show up for every single home game, regardless of opponent, that's not something that the vast majority of power conference, you know, we, we use that term, but like, you know, that are going to be the ACC or the SEC, like they don't get 10,000 people to show up for a that's game a, against that's a Louisiana great point. Tech. I saw North Carolina the other night. I mean, they, they barely had anyone out that game. I think even KU kind of struggled to put – fans in the seats when it was selling out so I think I think expectations are high and I think that's you know I mean that's a good thing you Marshall probably wants expectations to be high because if you don't have them high then you're, you're clearly not doing very much winning but I think uh, when you look at, at the fan base as a whole you're always going to have some criticism and and that's just the the world we live in social media I doubt that's unique to the Wichita State fan base I mean I, you know there's there's going to be some bad losses by some other teams that have more experience returning and and backlash and those sorts of things. But I think on the whole, I think Wichita State's fan base uh, is very good, is a very intelligent fan base, pretty devoted. Uh, even when you look at things like traveling, I'm sure we'll see quite a large contingent of Shocker fans in South Carolina. Those sorts of things are, are uh, you know, maybe can be taken for granted the other way is that, you know, that that is not uh, a common thing in college basketball. Yeah, those are good points. I think that's a, that's a good discussion there. Well, last point here. I would just say with all the success that the Shockers have had over this run under Coach Marshall, particularly here in Wichita, going to Shocker basketball games has been the thing, you know, the place to go be seen in Wichita. So maybe we're talking about some of those not as hardcore basketball fans as, you know, let's say a, a group of three people who want to have a weekly podcast or something like that. So. <laughs> So, all right, Taylor. Well, we appreciate you taking the time joining us from New York. We'll look forward to your coverage on Kansas.com of the Charleston Classic Thursday, Friday, Sunday matchups for the Shockers. They played uh, five games here pretty quick, but then they'll get a little time off. It'll be that Sunday after Thanksgiving. They'll take on Rice at home. Then that following weekend, we'll take on Baylor at home. Uh, which will uh, be the first Big 12 team to visit Cocorino in quite some time. So uh, certainly appreciate you listening. Be sure to recommend us to a friend and rate us wherever you listen to your podcast. And have a great week. <laughs> we'll be back with you next week.